My name is Franco. I'm the co-founder of PropMoto, and uh, yeah, welcome to our PropMoto Metatrends conference call. Uh, I think before we start, uh, I'd like to give a little background for some of the readers. Uh, you know, this is a continuation of a long conversation we've been having about data accessibility, um, something that's seemed to be very important with our readers. We've noticed that uh, these articles have done done very well, and so we've wanted to kind of continue the conversation. Um, and it seems something that keeps coming up over and over again is is the idea of standards. You know, who who is going to control what form the data comes in, and and why is that important? Uh, there's a lot of other industries that have some um, you know some some very uh, uh, important standards that, that really allow a lot of things to happen. I, one that's been brought up is uh, the fixed standard in the financial industry. Uh, but but real estate, uh, for the large part, doesn't have something that's that is in that same sense adopted. So um, I'm lucky enough to have on this conference call uh, Lisa Stanley, CEO of Oscar, Jeremy Crawford, uh, he's on the RESO board and is the CEO of the FMLS, and uh, Josh Frazier, he's the CEO at Estated. Uh, and I think this is going to be a really interesting call because, you know, we have. Uh, both people on the commercial and residential side that are working towards standards and, and also someone uh, like Josh who is actually having to implement this data into, into a company and into a system. So uh, we get a little bit of the, uh, the perspective of the operator. Um, you know, as we start, I'd love to start uh, with uh, uh, both you, Jeremy and Lisa, and, and just kind of give you a chance to uh, talk a little bit about um, you know, your organization and, and maybe more in general, what the purpose of these kind of organizations is. So, uh, Lisa, maybe you could start off. Great. Thanks, Franco. Oscar International is a member-based organization focused on developing real estate standards and fostering implementation that address a variety of real estate topics, including space classifications, space management, occupancy costs, leases, valuation, and portfolio information exchange. So our goal is to um, broadly address the entire asset life cycle as it relates to commercial real estate. And we have found that there's increasingly a much broader base of organizations and individuals that are aware of the importance of standards as they start to explore emerging technologies where an effective approach to data governance is absolutely important to that, and you can't have an effective approach to data governance without a standardized approach to standards. So mm -hmm. um, we certainly are happy to be a part of this conversation, and I'll turn it over to Jeremy. Sure, great. Thank you, Lisa. Um, so the Real Estate Standards Organization is a nonprofit membership-based standards organization that primarily focuses within the scope of residential real estate and has been around for uh, roughly 20 years now. Uh, the two primary standards that is being worked on through the work groups and the committees of the standards organization is the Rezo Web API for the transmittal of real estate data and the Rezo Data Dictionary, the schema, if you will, of how that information is transmitted and its formatting. Um, so today, Rezo has over 850 member organizations that uh, put together brokerages that represent over a million agents nationwide, uh, primarily in the U.S. and in Canada, 
as well as technology companies, large and small, large ones such as Black Knight and CoreLogic, uh, all the way to startup companies, as well as uh, multiple listing services that primarily deal with the residential side and implement RESO standards for making the broker's life a little better and the technical opportunities better for startup companies to innovate without having to work on data integration. And so there are currently over 650 MLSs in the nation now that are actively certified on RESO standards. Hmm, interesting. And so you work mostly uh, with, like most of your work goes with MLSs or with the brokerages as well? Uh, so essentially, from Rezo's perspective, it's a consortium of MLSs, brokerages, and technology companies that really all work together to develop the standards and implement the standards so data can be passed between MLSs, uh, brokerages, and their affiliated technology partners that make real estate applications to help them transact real estate business. Interesting. And you know, before we before we get to, um, I want to have uh, Josh weigh in on some of this, but before we do, I think a lot of our listeners would be interested to know, um, you know, just how the organizations functions. You know, obviously you have to have uh, members paying, and you know, what what do they pay for, and and what do they get as return of uh, being a member? Lisa, maybe we can start with you. Sure. We are corporate member based. We too are a nonprofit, and. Our corporate memberships range from small business to corporate executive level members, so a range of $2,500 to $20,000. And there are a variety of different member benefits associated with each. Our membership model currently includes access to a variety of intellectual properties, including the standards. And this year, one of the things that we've done is moved from, I'll call it a siloed standards approach to a um, reference data model approach, integrated, more holistic, and within it we have over 90 use cases so that you can click on the use case, the issue that you're trying to address, and it'll show you where in that data model that you can find that information. We also have a Council of 100, which is a really exciting new group that we started of 100 organizations that meet four to five times a year in various cities. We've had one in New York and one in London. We'll have one in Chicago in June. We also have um, committee structure to help advance reviewing the existing standard as well as moving forward to look at new areas that might need to be addressed to meet the needs of people within there. And I guess the best way that, that we can describe um, our membership is looking at it as Oscar, not unlike RISO, is a convener. We're a consortium of organizations that include end users, the owner-occupier investors, the um, software developers, consultancy firms, and service providers like CBRE and JLL and others that agree to convene and address the big issues that are facing the industry. And a big part of what we offer as well under the Center for Innovation and Leadership is the Oscar Academy, which is an active education and training program, both through web-based programs on data governance and digital competency, and we'll also be holding our first learning lab, May 9th and 10th, in Orlando that is very much a hands-on approach to developing an effective approach for uh, data governance within organizations. So it's um, 
identifying the will to implement standards, and then addressing the skills to be able to, to ensure that the implementation can proceed. And that's been, I think, one of the biggest challenges for organizations. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so, uh, uh, Jeremy, is your organization structured in a similar uh, way? Uh, it, it is. We have a couple of slight differences, but essentially, um, as I mentioned earlier, we are membership-based. Rezo's staff goal is to play the facilitator between all the uh, membership attendees and participants where they hold uh, monthly conference calls through a variety of work groups and committees to work on the greater good of providing standardized data out to the industry. So membership from a benefit, uh, first and foremost, gives you a seat at the table. Rezo standards are all open source and free to the public, so they are free for anyone to use. However, only members can contribute to the evolution of standards so that Rezo can ensure intellectual property protection is provided on those open source standards, and it's a major me member benefit to join Rezo and be able to have a seat at the table to put forth ideas and solutions to help the common good of the industry. Rezo also does certification on standards, so a member organization can get certified for free and no charge as a member benefit, and essentially Rezo's staff helps a member organization or a non-member organization that wants to pay for certification a la carte to implement and get officially certified on uh, the adoption of Rezo standards, including the Data Dictionary and the Rezo Web API from that perspective. Members can participate in any committee or work group all the way up to even uh, being elected on the Rezo Board of Directors as well within their qualifying class of a technology company or a brokerage or a uh, an MLS, if you will. Okay. Very interesting. Thank you for that. So, so yeah. Now, I'd, I'd love to uh, to hear a little bit from you, Josh. Um, you know, for our reader, our listeners here, it's important for them to know. Uh, Estated is a a company that uh, compiles uh, uh, particularly residential uh, real estate data and has some API feeds that they're building. Um, you know, are, are you part of, of any of these organizations? Yeah. Am I unmuted right now? Couldn't tell. No, we can hear you. Perfect. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so we've been to two Rezo conferences. We have um, quite a bit of their data dictionary implemented within our API schema as well, um, so that it can be congruent for our end users as well, even though we haven't traditionally worked with many MLSs. But we have been very fascinated with, A, all like the brilliant minds that are a part of Rezo. They have a lot of great companies there um, that have joined it, and they're definitely like becoming more mainstream and part of the conversation. So um, it's been a pretty good learning experience for us. None of our company initially had come from the traditional real estate industry. So it's been a really good eye opener to see the standards that they're trying to put in place. And and did it do, um, you know, what both Lisa and Jeremy said their organizations were uh, trying to do, which was uh, help help you bring, bring you together with other uh, kind of, you know, both tech companies, but also real estate companies that are trying to, to get these standards into one, one form? At this time, we haven't had a lot of customers come through that have 
been um, aware or are a part of Rezo. So it hasn't yet, but we are still fairly new to attending even the Rezo conferences that happen twice a year. But I am sure that in our future, as we, we have a couple MLSs in the pipeline that we're in conversations with where um, Rezo will be the format that we end mm-hmm. up implementing with them. And, and talk to me, Josh, about, uh, you know, when, let's say you have an MLS that you're working with that is on Rezo and another one that is not. Um, what's the level of complication if, uh, if they are not a, a Rezo uh, compliant? Ultimately, for us, it doesn't make a difference. Interesting. And that's uh, so you, you'd be able to uh, implement a different standard uh, if, if need be. Yep, absolutely. It just depends on how they want the data returned to them. So, so you're saying it's the MLSs that, that steer this ship, at least on the residential side? Our customers do, yeah, for us, at least. And Jeremy, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Like, what, what are the, uh, you know, that's one of the interesting distinctions between commercial and residential is residential has these big, uh, you know, legacy organizations like MLSs that, that do uh, do whatever they want. Uh, what, what's, what do you think their role is in uh, getting standards uh, adopted? Well, the, the reality is, is that almost all of the residential MLSs are NAR owned or operated and um, realtor affiliated, if you will. And as such, there is an NAR MLS policy that MLSs must adopt Rezo standards for the good of the industry and stay current within one year of standards being ratified to new versions. So you will see all of the residential MLSs have Rezo standards implemented. What has been the challenge is the implementations and the certifications are a little new, especially for the Rezo Web API that replaced RETS, a standard that was around for 20 years for transmitting data. And so it's important that technology companies who are contacting MLSs ask for the Rezo certified feed because many times they will give you a legacy non-implemented version of a data feed as opposed to the certified version that they've just most recently implemented. And so from the residential side, uh, you should see all the MLSs in the U.S. and many of them in Canada uh, adopt Rezo standards, even if not organically due to the policy enforcement by NAR. Now, we at FMLS are not realtor-owned or affiliated, but we still adopt Rezo standards here. We actually converted our MLS schema to the native Rezo data dictionary in February of this year uh, because it is for the good of the brokerage community, which are our direct customers here at FMLS, and therefore we know it's important for them to have standardized data to make it easier to integrate in their back office products, marketing, CRM, contact, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's a uh, an important thing for people to understand too. Is that it's not just like you set these uh, data standards up and they just last forever, right? They are um, constantly changing. So as you were saying, one of the problems is that um, some uh, some of these MLSs might be using an, an older uh, schema. Uh, you know, Josh, is is that a problem for you when you're adopting? Do you have to look into that, like which uh, you know, which format each of these uh, MLSs is using? No, 
So we have the Rezo data dictionary available to them for like the public record data that they're going to be pulling in from us. So it honestly doesn't really matter to us how they set up their databases at this mm -hmm. time. So it doesn't ultimately like it's not on our end, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the, you guys are very technologically advanced, you're, you know, but I can see maybe for a brokerage, they might have a lot harder time, um, you know, dealing with this kind of data incongruencies. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, maybe we'd like to jump over a little bit onto the commercial side. You know, the commercial side does not have uh, MLSs like the residential has, but it does have very large uh, firms, brokerage and management firms and, and ownership firms that control a good amount of it. So uh, maybe, Lisa, could you talk a little bit about, you know, what, what do you see as uh, being some of the, the headwinds for for standards, uh, you know, being adopted in commercial and, and how you think that's going to change in the near future? Sure, Franco. So as we look at the real estate industry, particularly on the commercial side, there's an increasing need for data, better quality data, more consistent data, more transparency as it relates to data. And that's from the brokerage side through to corporate real estate, which is the real estate that is owned and occupied by companies, and also to the investment side. So I think increasingly a convergence of need for better quality data. And it's the end users, frankly, that will really be driving the bus as it relates to demanding more consistency of data. What mm -hmm. we've seen on, whether you want to call it the vendor side or the business partner side, has been, in some cases, a measured level of resistance to standardizing data because they like to believe that the platform or the services that they, that they provide are the standard. And we were just talking informally before uh, the webinar started about the term secret sauce and what that means. But the reality is the secret sauce is not the data terms and definitions, the standards, if you will, that are embedded in whatever platform it is. It's what you do with it. And I think that's really a significant point to make and a differentiator, if you will, for advocacy of implementing standards. It makes it much easier for the end user, the customer, if you will, to exchange information from vendor X and vendor Y and vendor Z, all of which provide services that the customer wants and needs, but that information isn't easily exchanged. So that, mm -hmm. that term interoperability, which we got away from a few years ago because everybody thought it sounded so complicated, is increasingly being used about, I need to get my data faster, I need to be able to utilize it in a way that makes sense and doesn't require a lot of manual manipulations on my part. And that's why companies like Josh's, those data aggregators are really, really important because they are the middlemen oftentimes that enable organizations to take the information from multiple sources and put it together in a way that they can much more readily use. Mm -hmm. And so, Josh, I'll, you know, let's push this back to you. I mean, if you're looking at a, a membership in an organization um, like Reso, I mean, what, what would be the thing that you would want most uh, from your membership? For us right now, it's just learning from all the brilliant minds that are a part of Rezo. Um, we have a couple advisors that um, have been in the industry for a long time, and I think it was Josh Lupore who 
um, was one of the original Red Sea guys who went to Zillow for a while, who introduced us to Rezo. Um, I don't think I've actually been to an event yet, but it was a couple of our head engineers went and they came back on fire from all of the standards that Rezo was implementing. So at this point, it was just exciting because I know that there were, a, we had a handful of customers asking about the unique property identifier that Rezo's um, putting kind of as the standard here of being able to search homes. So, you know, as just a technology vendor and kind of coming from a very different industry previously, um, the reason that we joined was just to surround ourselves with people who are kind of like leading the charge of the standardization across like the residential real estate area. And Rezo was by far none the place that we wanted to go. So it sounds like, you know, education was a really big part of this, being able to understand quickly, um, you know, what's been built and why and, um, you know, how maybe it's it's going to change in the future. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Like they are leading the charge and have, you know, most of the largest organizations that are a part of the real estate industry um, are, are a part of Rezo, aware of it. And either joining it or or go, like getting on board mm-hmm. with them, and you know, so Lisa and Jeremy, do is that in line with what you understand your uh, organization's offering is? Is is education? Obviously, you know, there's the dictionary on the Riso side, there's the um, education sessions on the Oscar side, but you know, how how do you look to uh, increase your organization's ability to educate uh, you know companies like like Josh's? Maybe uh, Jeremy, we could start with you. Yeah, from the Rezo perspective, so we host two conferences a year, and they are not money-making conferences. (coughs) Excuse me. They are educational conferences in in two factors. One, there are brilliant minds all around the table from large and small companies that are MLSs, brokerages, et cetera. I mean, you typically at a Rezo conference have 60 or more MLSs that are there with their data engineers um, and their product managers and their CIOs and CTOs. And then you have, you know, tons of representation from large, medium, and small companies that are either brand new learning about standards in the hallway or trying to figure out what is the best solution for distributed ledger technology, or as Josh mentioned, the universal property ID standard that Rezo's uh, created and is published there out in open source land. And so the conferences are geared towards learning, input, and reiteration of the standards and evolution. So essentially, you won't see sales pitches. Uh, if you do see a sales pitch, they get uh, hooked off the stage pretty quickly, and they're they're much smaller and interactive with uh, limits on how many attendees can be there. So the the Spring Technology Summit coming up is at the end of April in Boise, um, and then the fall will be in September in St. Louis. So it's and it's open to non-members as well. So you can participate on site as a non-member conference registration. Uh, attendee as well. So it gives you an opportunity to see Rezo firsthand without having to join. Joining is pretty inexpensive for startup companies. It's only $500 for a full year membership, and that's full access for all your employees if you're a startup company. So we've tried to not set the barrier of entry too high Mm -hmm. because it really is nonprofit, and Rezo is completely virtual to keep costs down. Um, But I think back to Lisa's point as well is these companies are coming together for the ability to have interoperability of data between platforms 
And as she mentioned, the secret sauce, no one in the world considers Bluetooth stealing anyone's secret sauce. It's a phenomenal standard that helps transmit voice, music, whatever it is. And so Rezo standards are really similar to that is that you can have some awesome headphones invented and have secret sauce and you're still using the Bluetooth standards. So companies like you stated on the line now can use Rezo standards and still implement some really cool secret sauce in their technology platforms at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a good, uh, really good point. So it sounds like uh, Riso is mostly focused on two big uh, conferences, and obviously um, there's other educational events throughout the year. But uh, Lisa, tell me a little bit about uh, how you guys, um, you know, your outreach and educational programs. Sure. One of the things that we found was while there are a variety of courses out there that address building skills and data governance, there wasn't anything that was specific to the real estate industry. And Real estate, frankly, is has some nuances that perhaps other industries like manufacturing or fintech or insurance um, may not have. So we decided to develop web-based education programs because it's a lower barrier, it's quite affordable, it enables people to participate at their own pace in building skills for data governance and for digital competency. And I expect that we'll have another program moving forward next year in terms of a, a series of these one-hour webinars, but also learning labs that enable people to have hands-on case study access and actually build a project to help them better understand how they can build that framework for data governance within their organizations. And I guess that, from our perspective, is probably one of the most valuable services that Oscar provides. And no, you don't have to be a member to participate in those, although you you do get a reduced fee if you are a member. There is a lack of understanding, frankly, since a lot of organizations have been focused in large part on flat files, Excel spreadsheets that move from one desk to another week by week, month by month, quarter by quarter. And in order for organizations to be able to take advantage of these technologies that are increasingly becoming available and frankly more affordable, there needs to be a better understanding, a base understanding of how these pieces all fit together. So it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, the will and the skill. You can have extraordinary leaders at the top of an organization with vision, but if the skill set isn't available within the organization, they won't be able to advance as rapidly as they would otherwise. And I think that's one of the most important things. And then the Council 100, those convened meetings are smaller. As Jeremy said, we believe in small convened meetings where people can get to know each other, can share ideas. And the Council 100 approach is like 35 to 45 people in a room where they take up a discussion item that doesn't just stop at discussion at the end of the day, but that moves to action. So the topic that we're addressing right now is focusing on how to build a digital ecosystem. And it has been a lively discussion. Some really, really great thought leaders have stepped up. And the discussion is very much one where they feel comfortable that this is a safe place to share ideas, their concerns, their vision, um, and how to allocate the resources within organizations to move forward, which I think is a, is a huge issue to be addressed yet. Very true. Um, you know, 
Josh, maybe we can jump to you a little bit. This idea of the the secret sauce uh, is really interesting, and I want to get your take on it. You know, in, in my mind, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, your company helps kind of uh, parse all the uh, and put together all of the different uh, data feeds into one kind of easy access API. Uh, you know, what, what happens to the tech landscape, the, the tech and data landscape, when um, all the data becomes more uh, easily, uh, you know, accessible by the average um, real estate professional? It's an interesting question. Um, so, you know, A, it'll just be, like, significantly easier for, like, a realtor to spin up a website with one standardized format if that did exist or be able to, like, search anything via a UPI would make life significantly easier for, like, a brokerage to to have good data right in front of them. Um, on, like, my side as the tech company, I can't imagine that, like, county records and assessors are actually going to start to have some standardized format anytime soon just because of what we've, like, pulled in over the last two years since we started this. And, you know, we've aggregated a little over 100 million properties historical data, and I can't tell you how many disparate forms that's coming. It's, it's just ugly. Um, and that's kind of where our tech comes in, and, and that's our secret sauce is our ability to standardize and normalize extremely disparate data sources very quickly. Um, but, yeah, for secret sauce for the end user, having standards is just – it's it'll be so much easier and cheaper, and everything will come from a single data feed. Oh. I can't imagine it happens in the next few years, but, um, you know, people are working towards it. So uh, what do you guys think, uh, Lisa and Jeremy? Give me give me predictions. How, how long? I mean, uh, Josh has told me horror stories about working with some of these uh, county assessors and how far behind they are. So he obviously has a, a lot of working knowledge on this. But uh, how long do you think until, um, you know, we do have a standard that, that starts at the, the county level? Or, or do we ever get it to be like that? I, Maybe I, I don't. I don't think you ever get there. Um, unfortunately, there are over 3,200 assessors' offices in the U.S. alone, and and it's it's interesting that I can be in California, and the Santa Clara assessors' office can record a deed, and it be electronically available to Josh's company to aggregate within 72 hours, then you can go over the hill to Santa Cruz and there's a filing cabinet that could be three to four weeks out of date. As I sit here in Georgia, we actually can take up to six months to see a, a recorded deed actually recorded in electronic fashion and be able to aggregate that. And so it's, it's a major challenge and these governmental entities just don't have the funding um, or the wherewithal in some of these very rural, small county areas to be able to move. I mean, they are not even doing FTP. They are still doing fax machines as their primary method of transmittal and haven't even gotten to FTP yet for some of them. Others do have APIs or FTP available, but you have companies like Josh's and CoreLogic and Black Knight that they literally get faxed copies of deeds and they have to hand key enter that information to them to be able to electronically provide it out to real estate brokers and agents and platforms 
that are out there. And so I, I think you're not going to see much in that space. I think where there is hope is if blockchain technologies get more traction with deed recording and the chain of custody of property, then that distributed ledger technology space is an area where we could see some traction being implemented. Um, the good news is U.S. is much further ahead than Canada. The tax records in Canada are probably 10 years behind where U.S. is today um, in some of those areas. So we're not as archaic as, as our neighbors to the north of us. So, Josh, what's your what's your thought on the distributed ledger technology? Is that something that uh, you see being implemented or you, you guys are, are looking at in any way? Yeah, like once or twice a week, I'm sure some blockchain company reaches out to us about um, how amazing their um, deed ledger will be. It's definitely a monthly thing, maybe not weekly, but um, we haven't seen any come to fruition. Um, we're one of like the easiest accesses to getting a lot of this historical property data. And I think putting that on the blockchain to add on to Jeremy's point, a lot of these government institutions don't have the funding, the capacity, the um, technology, like te technological skill to um, adapt that technology yet. So potentially in the future um, it's possible, but like Jeremy said, you know, they have to fax send over, you know, documents and we have to outsource like OCR to get that inputted into our database. There's other counties where we have to send them hard drives on a monthly basis and we had to like essentially train them how to upload information onto it and send it back to us. So um, it's a long, long ways away. And I couldn't agree more on the Canada point. I'm currently in British Columbia and like we don't even have Uber and Lyft here yet. So um, an Airbnb <laughs> is illegal. So it's like we're a little bit further behind here in Canada as well. I'd like to just weigh in on that, Franco. I think one of the mm -hmm. challenges in, in the U.S. is the fact that it is a county-wide system, and every county kind of has their their own approach. A lot of it is resource-dependent or lack of resource-dependent. But when you look at other countries outside of the U.S. and Canada, where they have a federal system like the land registry in the U.K., those types of systems may, frankly be a whole lot more um, able, I guess is a, a good word to describe it, to implement technology like blockchain because it is more centralized. And just a few months ago, um, the land registry in the UK awarded a contract to R3 using the Corda platform, the Corda blockchain platform. And R3 is a group of right now about 120 of the largest fintech organizations in the world and to look at a company, an organization that didn't even exist four years ago where they beat out some of the really much more established and much larger tech firms to take on this, this federal contract based on blockchain, I think um, shows one, how fast technology is moving, but two, the way the current system is arranged in other countries is a lot more conducive to advancement. And if there was absolutely no system, like in the Republic of Georgia and, and some other places, they have an opportunity to really fast track because they're not replacing any legacy systems. Yeah, that's an interesting point. They, they don't have that same kind of uh, resistance to change. And let's stay on this topic for a while. I'd, I'd like to hear all three of your opinions on what 
the biggest sticking point is uh, for us getting these standards that are you know adopted by the entire industry. Uh, maybe Jeremy, we could start with you on that one. Um, I, I think it's a value proposition for diverting resources to implement the standards. And I think that that's what we see in the brokerage community more so than anyone else is they have to be convinced it will give them benefits. And Rezo's done a lot of case studies the past two years, and they're doing more on implementing um, Rezo's standards. So I think it's a matter of a grassroots effort campaign to convince brokerages and their affiliated technology partners to implement the standards because what we find at Rezo and it's tried and true through the case studies is once they rip the band-aid off and implement the standards then they build upon successes left and right and they see even more so than what they thought they would get but there are so many priorities within a business today within a brokerage community that Implementing Rezo standards is not the first thing a broker thinks of when they wake up in the morning, and it's a grassroots effort to convince them to do that, and they're the ones that drive the commerce factor in the industry. All right, Josh, what, what about you? What do you think are the main uh, uh, forces keeping us from having more uh, developed standards in, in real estate? Completely agree with what Jeremy mentioned that the value proposition to the brokerages and whoever's adopting the technology is the, the number one thing that you have to be able to get across. Uh, like he said, it's not the number one priority on a lot of people's plates at this time. And as it becomes more mainstream and you see more and more, like he said, case studies and successes with it or just like simplicity there. Yeah. The simpler it is to implement as well is very important. But at this point, it's just having everyone understand what the value of this is for the industry at a whole and trying to show them that it will make their businesses better and they'll be able to add more value to their customers as well in the long run is is where I see it. But we still have quite a few years before you get, you know, full adoption. Mm -hmm. All right, Lisa, I know that the commercial is a different uh, landscape. Uh, what's your opinion about the commercial side? What's what's one of some of the things or the main thing that's keeping uh, standard adoption from happening? Part of it is doing things the way they've always done them, being comfortable with spreadsheets, um, perhaps looking at what the investment in the infrastructure is, as being something as um, Josh had said, you know, it, it is a value proposition. So you're going to have to allocate resources to build these standardized systems, whether you're replacing legacy systems, building new ones, changing vendors. Those all have um, a hard cost, certainly. And also the vision at the top. I don't think we can underestimate the tone at the top of the organization for support of taking this approach. And at the end of the day, no matter how complicated we try to make the conversation, it's about addressing the issues around data that lead to better outcomes. Better outcomes can mean a variety of different things. It can be on the brokerage side, closing more transactions. It can be on the investment side, deciding whether you want to keep a property or a portfolio of properties or do you want to divest? It's about getting the right information to the right people at the right time. And that, I guess, in a nutshell, is really 
from a commercial perspective and frankly from a residential perspective as well is what's in it for me? Why does that person need to care? Why should they care? And how is this going to improve the way they do their job and the performance of an asset? So that as you're looking at all of this information, I, I think increasingly it's a continuum of data from the brokerage side through to the corporate real estate side to the investment side. And there's much more in common, I think, as we start moving forward in this data standards conversation than what a lot of people in the real estate industry might have thought was the case just a couple of years ago. And I think that that convergence of consensus maybe is a good way to describe it is really, really important because the more people who decide that they're going to implement this standardized data approach, the more it becomes the standard so that you can have a higher comfort level with the data that you're getting surrounding a particular property, regardless of the source, if it has been standardized. And that mm. that's a pivotal point. Interesting. All right. Well, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff been said. And I think maybe right before we uh, wrap it up, I'd like to hear some predictions from all three of you. You know, maybe if you could give me a quick prediction on uh, what you see happening in, in the next five years, what will be the big changes to how the real estate industry deals with data? Uh, Lisa, let's let's stay with you. You can, you can give me one on the, the commercial side. I think um, consolidation of vendors is going to occur as more and more consistency in implementation of standards happens. I think um, data aggregation and integration will become much more a part of the normal routine in the real estate industry. And I think that those organizations who have stepped out and trying to allocate the resources to implement technology, to build effective approaches to data governance to clean up the data that's driving the decisions big and small throughout their organizations will find a competitive position that advances that frankly is likely to cause some of their competitors who haven't taken that approach to be left by the wayside. Interesting. All right, Jeremy, how about yourself? What's your prediction for the, uh, the future of real estate data? I would say that over the past couple of years, the residential MLSs have done a pretty good job adopting RESO standards. I think it's now up to them to push their brokerages and technology companies to move over to them. Uh, you are going to see some MLSs cut off non-standardized data feeds. Some have already done that. Some are going to discontinue our old standard called RETS and only offer the API going forward. That's going to help move the envelope when the benefits and the discussion points do not help. Uh, but to Lisa's point, uh, consolidation, mergers, and even data shares and data co-ops are becoming hot topics. There used to be over 900 MLSs. Now they're about 650, give or take 20. But sometime in the next three years, you're probably going to see more towards 550 residential MLSs. Uh, it's going to make it a little bit easier to get a larger set of data that's standardized as they're getting it today. As far as the tax assessor space, I don't see a lot of movement with the exception of distributed ledger technology. 
or companies like Josh's that have come in as competitors to only two or three of what has traditionally been tax aggregators of data in the past and lay that on top of Rezo's standards once it's aggregated like Josh is doing today. All right, Josh, take us home. What's your what's your prediction for the future? How, how do you see things shaking out? I agree with not a lot of innovation at the county assessor level in the next five to ten years. I've also heard the same thing that I believe MLSs are going to continue to um, partner and there will be less and less. I think, you know, when Jeremy says there were 950, I don't even know if that was five years ago. So it's moving quite quickly in the adoption. Um, there'll be a lot more data with less companies that we have to deal with in the future. So, yeah, I, I'm not as familiar with Oscar, but Rezo has been doing a fantastic job and growing quite quickly. I think that they're they're probably a little bit past that early adopters phase of the innovation curve. And um, the early majority should be coming on within the next five years, which will which will be great for the industry. Okay, well, we shall see if that uh, all comes to pass. I certainly hope it does. I know that the, a lot of readers are, are the same. They have had a hard time with uh, figuring out how to get access to good real estate data, and I think that's one of the reasons why this has been such a popular topic. But I want to thank uh, Lisa, Jeremy, Josh. Thank you all for coming on and talking about this. And I, I personally had a lot of fun talking talking about real estate data. I know uh, other people do as well. So I want to thank all the listeners and everybody out there, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.